Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. Luckily, I didn't have to look good for anybody. Yeah. So myself. Hawaii, all the jungly places, you just look like drowned. I know. So we're on Maui and I wasn't like, so we were going to book it, right? And then the fires happened and we were kind of like, ah, like we shouldn't go. People like, they were like, don't take our resources. Don't come here. Then everyone was like, actually people in Maui want you to go because they have, they're like not getting any revenue because there's no tourist revenue. So we ended up booking mm. uh, Maui and actually our experience is really good. A lot of people were like, thank you so much. Come in, come in. Like, we, you know, they just like want you to, we did the road to Hana, which is like a, it's like this long windy road up to this town called Hana. And along the way, there are all these people who just have a home there and they're all selling like authentic Hawaiian stuff. They're selling like, you know, banana bread and mango bread and like all these different fruits and stuff. And I'm like, these people are not making any money if people aren't going on this mm-hmm. like tourist thing. So we we stopped a whole bunch of times, and, like talked to people and whatever, and they were just like happy to see anyone. So we, it was, ended up being a really good experience, but I was a little bit worried. But we did go, we did drive through um, where the fire was and it was wild. Like it is like, they're still not letting people to their properties at all. Yeah. Like everything is fenced in. It's really scary. And there was, a, I mean, it's very like a huge area that was completely burned down. It was really, it was really sad. Um, but we're on the island and we're staying on the, the west side of the island and it's like raining the first day. And Keith is like, oh, the other side's the, the wet side. And I was like, what? It's literally like actively raining here. So then we went to the other side and it was even more wet. So it was just wet rat status. The whole time, <laughs> hair's like greasy and yeah, but it was good. It was nice, nice, some nice R and R. Well, we're glad you're back. This I is bet. Danny J, by the way. Yeah, and this is Jill Coleman, and uh, yeah, we've been apart for a few weeks, but yeah, we managed we to have. make it so. Work. <laughs> we were talking about greasy hair. I've had some weird, like I keep washing my hair and it keeps feeling greasy. Like there's got to be some buildup or something, and it's driving me crazy. It's feels like such a waste to wash your hair and then you're brushing it and it still feels greasy. I know. So I gotta, fi- I gotta there figure this out. And you know, shampoo. Do you remember that uh, Neutrogena clarifying shampoo yeah. I shared with you a couple of years ago? It was discontinued, and I found it on Amazon. It's like eighty dollars. It's like seven ninety nine normally. And I found it on Amazon. I'm like, this can't be the right one. It's $79 instead of $7, $8. Yeah. And I started Googling it, found some Reddit threads, and they discontinued it. And all these people are like, we love the shampoo. And so people are trying to make sell it for $80. I'm like, no. But, but maybe. That was a great, sh- it was a great shampoo. <laughs> there and, are other clarifying uh, shampoos out there. Yeah. Yeah, there are. Or just some stripping shampoos. I guess I've read some of these blogs that you can just use like dish soap. Like that'll, I mean, it will totally strip your hair, but you know how it cuts grease. Yeah. I was so going to say, you I'll could just, use like a Castile soap, right? Like just get, I'll just use, get Bronner's soap. Old school. <laughs> um, so yeah, we had a couple weeks apart. I did a couple episodes with other guests and you did a solo and uh, now we're back. And so we're back. We are. And what are we going to talk about today? So I found this little post on Instagram and I thought we should definitely talk about it. It, I, I don't even know what page it was on, probably some 
could have been my explore tab, but it said, yes, toxic relationships are hard, but do you know what else is hard? Your first healthy relationship after a toxic one. No one talks about how hard it is to unlearn all the toxic behaviors you adapted as coping mechanisms, how hard it is to convince yourself that you're safe now. Mm. And while maybe Jill and I weren't necessarily in toxic relationships, we were in a relationship that ended in infidelity. And I know both you and I have had PTSD and things that have come up from that the way that relationship ended in our current relationships. And it really is difficult to get out of something that, I don't know, either fucked you in the brain, like mind fucked you or ended in a really tragic or interesting way and then getting into your next one. And so I, I thought it would be uh, worth talking about because I think there's a lot of people who maybe got out of it, whatever we want to describe as toxic. Maybe it was abusive. Maybe it just was a lot of um, fighting and just, I don't know, really not good. But getting out of a relationship and then getting into a new one. I, I think this is even necessary to talk about getting out of any relationship and into a new one. Because I remember my high school relationship, we were together for four years and you just get used to that one person anyway. And then when I got into my next one, there were so many things I just already projected onto the new person, assuming the old, you know, they were like the old person and it's just not. So I think this is a great conversation anyway, um, to talk about just any long-term relationship, getting into a new one, how hard it is. <laughs> and to to the point of the thing, it says how hard it is to feel safe mm-hmm. right? and to or not, to feel pro- okay. yeah, to not project and not have your, mm-hmm. you know, um, have your nervous system going haywire all the time. So yeah. I think this is valid, whether it's, again, whether it's a toxic relationship, abusive relationship, um, you know, or infidelity, because I think I'll just speak for, I think you and I, when we got out of those relationships, there was a lot of like, what do we do wrong? Right. We like needed mm-hmm. it to make sense. So I know for you and I, we went back and we were like trying to look at everything, like comb through all of the conversations. When did it start? How did it start? What did I do that made this? And so I think for some people like you and I, we thrive on like things need to make sense, right? So it's like, I'm trying to make sense of this. A lot of people don't care. Like we have plenty of friends who like go through infidelity and they're like, that person is an asshole and like move on to the next person. I think for you and I, we were really like, how and when and why? And like, we wanted a lot of those questions answered. So there's this idea that if you can recognize a pattern, then you have all the information and can be safe, right? And so I think it's really easy then when you come up with, oh, maybe this happened or maybe it was because I was doing this or they were this kind of person. When you sort of start connecting those dots, you want your next relationship to also make sense. So then you start trying to pick up on patterns there. And I'll just speak for myself. I know that was something for me that was really tough at the beginning of my relationship with Keith was I was like, ooh, this thing looks a lot like that thing over there in my marriage. Maybe this is the same thing because that's what made me feel safe. You know, and, and for people who've maybe never gone through infidelity, uh, it's it's a form of betrayal. And the thing that's the most hurtful about it, it's not like penis and vagina, like it's not the sex part. It's it's the being out of the loop and not knowing. And at least for me, that was the hardest part about it was like I got my choices taken away from me. Like I didn't know this was going on for two years. And you just feel so duped and you feel so stupid and you just feel like a fucking fool. So you vow to never feel that way again. So you're like, mm. if I could just recognize the signs in the new relationship, I can get ahead of it, then I'm not being duped again. Then I'm not the one who's in the dark again. And that's the thing, at least for me, that was the hardest part about being in a relationship was was not making 
things that my new partner was doing be the same as what my my ex husband was doing? Does, is that mm-hmm. something that came up for you too? Oh, hundred percent. It was looking for all those things, and it's funny because if you look for things, you tend to find them, even if you're making those up in your head, right? So I, when I first started dating Jeff, I started, uh, there was one night we were both drinking and he was throwing up in the toilet and I went and looked in his phone and that was where I found my ex-husband's, found out about his affair was through his phone. And so I'm like looking through his phone and why, why was I trying to find something? Like what you said was to make myself feel safe, right? I wanted to know like everything was fine and I need to know now. So if I can look in his phone and I can find nothing, then, then I'm okay. But it's like, you can maybe find something like any person who he's talking to, who happens to be female, I can start making up a story about that person. And so you start to find what you're looking for, or you still keep looking because you're like, well, I didn't find anything in his phone. So maybe I got to look at his email (laughs) and maybe I got to like look in his uh, Instagram DMs and then I have to look in his Facebook DMs. So it's like this, this behavior makes sense on a psychological level because from what happened in the past, you're like, you want to feel safe again. So you need to get, have all the information. So you want to know, but on the, the reality is you don't feel safe. Your your nervous system is like, is, is uh, triggered and it's, it's, you're feeling very unsafe. And so you're trying to find a way to ease that. And it's very, very difficult to um, get into a new relationship and address these things because the things that maybe, (laughs) the things that maybe worked in the past because they, because you were quote tricked before, you don't want to be tricked again. Right. So you're like, I, I blindly trusted before. So how can I blindly trust again? Um, I, I need these assurances. And so I know Jeff and I had this conversation of like, look, if you're going to, if I'm going to keep looking through your phone, uh, I need to end this because I, like, I had so much anxiety, like, this isn't good for me that I like can't keep looking. And same with him. He, he actually, his relationship ended in infidelity as well. And so we kind of had this this come to Jesus moment where it's like, I don't want to punish you for what my ex did to me. And I don't want to be punished for what your ex did to you. However, we both know that we need to feel safe here. And so we are able to ask each other to see each other's phones at any time. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, am I looking to see, do I want to see your phone because you're doing something that seems shady or is it because I'm feeling insecure? And sometimes maybe it is me feeling insecure, right? Or him feeling insecure. And that is okay unless it happens over and over and over and over and over. And then there has to be some, some other thing addressed. So these are things that are like, I want to say they're normal, um, normal reactions to something that happened, but they're maladaptive. So they, they are not really helping you for what you want as a goal in the future. What we don't want is to find someone cheating, but we're looking for the the cheating. Right. And so we're trying to control it, by catching it early so that we can get out. So we don't like waste 10 years of our lives and get heartbroken like the first marriage. And it's so, um, it's like, and at the same time, we're probably causing issues in the relationship by being not trusting and snooping and looking through someone's phone without permission and doing all of those things. So it's really, really tricky to get out of these fucking loops when you've been betrayed or hurt in the past. And let's just say, you know, let's just say we we didn't have betrayal, but maybe we had somebody who was like abusive or gaslighting. And in our new relationship, they say what they mean and they mean what they say, but you start to go, does he really mean that? Is he really, is he saying that to get me to do something, right? Because in our past, maybe someone used things against us and manipulated us. And so we could never trust, <laughs> we could never trust what they said. And it can be really, really tricky. It's a huge mind fuck. 
And honestly, the only way I can really see getting through it is self-awareness and then like actively working to overcome and actually having a partner who is a little bit sympathetic or understanding to what you're going through and willing to work through it with you. As long as you are willing to work through it instead of keeping those projections, like you and I could have said to our partners, I need to see your phone all the time because I need this to make me feel safe. And that's not really fair, but we could say, Hey, I'm feeling really triggered. I feel like I need to see your phone. I know this is maybe a little bit crazy, but can I, can you show me this one time? And then can we talk through this when this comes up for me again? And can you please understand why I feel like this because of my past? And I'm going to work really hard so that I don't continue this behavior and that we can have some trust. Mm. And I think those are like the big ways to work through it is having that partner understand what you've been through. Cause it would also be sucky if like Keith or Jeff was like, bitch, I don't care what your ex did to you. Like, leave me the fuck alone. But if they could be understanding and go, look, I know you need to like, this isn't going to be cool all the time, but I understand why you're going through it and we're going to work through this together. I think that can be really, really helpful in the new relationship. Well, and to piggyback on that about the partner's response, I agree with you is like they need to take responsibility for being in a relationship with someone who went through that. You know what I mean? So like, I, you know, mm-hmm. like when you and I both got into these new relationships, it wasn't a secret that my ex-husband had cheated. So in a way, Keith needs to know that that's part of the deal, you know, and I'm not going to be mm. just like, I'm going to have these things. And honestly, if he's a good dude and he's not hiding anything, so then why would he even give a shit? I mean, it's, it's to your point, you use the word annoying. It can be annoying if it's like yeah. every single week I need to see your phone. It's like, bitch, you got to, you have some shit to do. Go see a therapist. But yeah. like, if it's, you know, if like to me, if Keith was like, hey, I'm getting triggered, like I need to see your phone, I'd be like, dude, here, have it as long as you want, right? Like, <laughs> like, cause yeah. I know that I'm not doing anything. I, I completely trust that anything in my phone, Keith could see. And if it was something you had a question about, I'd happily answer it. But to your point, not every week, not like forever and ever and ever. Then all of a sudden it's like, okay, this isn't about me. This is about you. But let me ask right. you this question. Because I think that this is something that does come up in, in like manifestation circles and, and things like that, this idea that we do continue attracting the same kind of person. You know, so like in my mind, there's the, there is that possibility. This is why you see people who maybe get into abusive relationships or gaslighting relationships or toxic relationships. There's a lot of talk in relationship spaces around if you're used to fighting with your partner all the time and then you get into a healthy relationship you assume that fighting is normal because that's all you've ever known. So you're like, Mm -hmm. we must not love each other as much because we're not as passionate and fighting all the time because that's what I was doing in my last relationship. So this feels almost like not as, maybe I don't love this person as much or it doesn't feel as, as highly charged as my previous relationship. So we have to ask ourselves, like, what do we want this new normal to look like? So my whole thing is you might be used to fighting and you might be used to checking the phone. You might be used to all these maybe, I don't want to say toxic behaviors, but these behaviors that maybe, like you said, maladaptive behaviors, like, but do you want to continue that? Because that's mm-hmm. the thing. I think if you ask someone like you or I, do you really want to be looking at someone's phone? The answer is no. Do you really want to be fighting all the time? The answer is no, but that's all you know from your previous relationship. So what would you tell someone who's like, well, but we tend to, or there's a possibility that we could continue to get into a relationship with someone who's doing the same shit. And then we need to take responsibility, right? Because is is there an element of us attracting that? I I don't think it's our fault that we're in a relationship that's like, it's not our fault, right? But it's also maybe our responsibility to like, like, look at the pattern. Yeah. I think it is our responsibility to look at the pattern and it is, um, 
you know, most of our choices that we make on a day-to-day basis, like 95% are subconscious and habitual. So we do so many things uh, from habit and that we literally just don't, we don't even know why we do them, right? And um, it's very true that we tend to uh, seek out partners who maybe are like the parent that didn't give us, yeah, the parent that didn't give us what we needed. That's pretty common. And if you read a lot of like relationship books and, and you start you know, digging down that path. Like, let's say you had a father who was really distant and withheld his love. And so you tend to try to attract a partner who's similar to your father, who's, you have to earn their love from them. Yeah. And so, and it could be, it could be a mother too. You could attract a partner who's like your mother, who was demanding and expected things from you. And there's just a lot of interesting things that come literally from our childhood and, and our first caregivers and how we attract a, a mate later on. And that is great for like the first one or two. And if you start to notice, I end up with the same guy or the same girl over and over, then the common denominator is you. And that is the time to look at yourself and go, what is it I'm looking for? What are the, what are the patterns that I'm, that I am creating this attraction and why am I attracted to this type of dynamic? Um, what happened growing up that I, that I didn't receive that maybe I can give myself now. And I think this is where it does come to like getting a really good coach or getting a really good counselor. If it's something you want to change, like you don't have to change it. You can keep going down that and keep dating the same guy, same girl over and over, just different name, different hat, you know, different pants or something. But if you were like, I, want to stop dating my dad or I want to stop, you know, dating this abusive gaslighting person and I want a healthy, safe relationship, then it's, you have to look at yourself because that's the only person you have control over. And it's not that there's no good guys out there. There's no good girls out there. That's not true. That's a story, right? We've, I've seen this so many times. And even, even when you're dating, you're like, everyone out there is so terrible. Everyone on the apps, like, well, not everyone on the apps is terrible, but if you are picking the wrong ones, one of my friends says you have to adjust your picker, right? And maybe you just have a bad, you have a bad picker. It's not that there's nobody out there. It's just you are somehow really attracted to the red flags instead of the green ones. Totally. I remember like, yeah, and totally because I remember towards the end of my marriage, um, we were, for the most part, we were in like a very secure attachment. So for those of you who have read the book Attached or understand attachment styles, we were in like a secure attachment. But towards the end, he was definitely more avoidant, which made me become more anxious. And so Mm -hmm. I was just used to that sort of dynamic, at least for the last about year of our relationship. So I actually got into a relationship with someone for like about three months after my marriage that was like extreme avoidant. And I remember like I almost, it just was that much more attractive to me because I was used to that energy. So it was like, it was like the energy of my marriage, but like on steroids, like it was even more. And it it took that Mm -hmm. for me to be like, okay, Jill, there's something you're the picker is getting it wrong, right? There's something here that for whatever reason you have all these nice guys who want to, you know, take you out and do stuff for you and whatever, but for some reason you're chasing these fuckboys, you're chasing these like unattainable sort of, you know, like assholes, really. And so I had to look at that and, and I had to like consciously choose someone who like really cared about me and made time for me and made me a priority and considered me and things like that, which I don't know that I was initially attracted to the energy only because I wasn't used to it. So I remember mm-hmm. that was like a, an example, but you do, to your point, you do have to have some self-awareness to go like, okay, these people just aren't assholes. I'm picking them. What about me thinks I deserve this behavior mm-hmm. almost, right? And again, like you said, subconsciously, it's not like, oh yeah, I deserve to be with an asshole. It's like you on some level keep picking these same types of people. So 
you have to disrupt the pattern. Yeah. And, and you do attract those type of people too. It's, there's something that you're emitting that's attracting those people to you. And there's something about you that's like, yes, this is the person I want. And it's really, really fascinating. And it takes a lot of uh, intentional work to change that. And because it's so, it's so unconscious and subconscious, like it literally, it's so interesting because one of my aunts, she's been married eight times and nearly all of her relationships were abusive. And I was like, I've never been in an abusive relationship one time yet. She finds eight different men that beat the shit out of her. And so it's not about that. There's just more men in her circles. It's something about her is uh, attracts that type of guy and also gets into relationship with that type of guy. And whether that was her self-esteem or what she believed she deserved mm. or whatever it was, but until you deal with that, you probably will still attract the same kind of dude. And it sucks because you're probably going, what is it? Like, why does, why did every dude want to beat the shit out of me? Like you, ayahuasca. you probably start to, yeah, you <laughs> probably like, start well, to have, how can I get, how can I disrupt this yes. pattern? Like I just see you do fucking ayahuasca like 50 times. Really? Literally. Like there, there are, so, there, there usually is, I don't, I, I can't say usually, but I would say there's probably some aha in there. There probably is a like, this is why now it makes sense. Now, just because you know why and how would it make sense? I've had many ahas of like why I do something the way I do it, but I haven't changed the behavior still. So there has to be two parts is like the awareness that there's an issue and that it, the issue might be partially you. Not to say you deserve abuse or you deserve somebody who cheats on you or any of that, but that somehow you keep attracting that same person. So first is the awareness. Two, maybe the aha of like, why it is you're doing that. Like could a family thing, maybe something happened to you when you're younger, some traumatic event and you're, you're, they are providing something that you were missing. But then the third part is going, okay, now how do I get that thing that I'm missing that's outside of a relationship or not within the context of this? And how can I train myself to be more aware when this kind of person comes into my life that I can like see those red flags earlier and cut it off before it turns into something. And also how can I train myself to feel deserving of the good things of someone who's understanding of someone who cares or someone who doesn't yell at me, who's, you know, and those are very interesting things too. I, I'm sure you, and I know I have too, have pushed away good guys who've been not done nice things. Cause I'm like, what's wrong with them? Like, <laughs> right. You're like, what? like you definitely feel like they're being too Why are you nice. Me flowers? <laughs> too yeah. nice. Like you don't even know me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there is like a deservingness, right? Where you're just like, I don't deserve this. Like, and that's where, that's yeah. where the self-work comes in, right? Like why on some mm -hmm. level do we just feel in general unworthy or not good enough? And I think that's just the human condition. But I think to your point, awareness is the first step. And then just accepting it and be like, let me try this on. It could even be like kind of a game, right? Like, you know, when you and I were dating, we're like, ah, oh, let me just like go on a date with this 50-year-old man. Let me go on a date with this 27-year-old guy. Like it was almost like, let me just try on these yeah. different types to see if there's something else here. And so I think if you I also think at some point, if you are with someone who doesn't resemble, like if you look at their actions and you get clinical and you really look at their actions and their actions are really not the same as the relationship you just came for, you have to believe it. 
Like you just have to, at some point, you got to believe the evidence. The evidence is this person is not like that person. I think to your point, we can make connections. I think if we try hard enough, we can be like, well, he didn't make the bed, which is something he never used to do. Like you can just make meaning out of anything, right? We're meaning making machines. But at the end of the day, I do think if you want to have a relationship where you can feel safe, this is the fucking hardest part because a lot of people I think, and I, I think I have fallen into this camp at times. I feel the safest when I'm hypervigilant, right? Like that's when I feel the safest, right? I'm like, I got, I'm yeah. the one who has the leg up. Like I'm the one who's, you know, looking at all the angles and like, but that's just exhausting. And you're frying your entire nervous system. You know, I don't know if you have this experience. Sometimes I look at people in these long-term marriages and they're with their best friend and they've been together 20 years and, you know, and I'm just like, they look so relaxed. They just look mm-hmm. like, they never thought twice about this person. They're not thinking about this person's DMs. They're not thinking about – and yeah. I was like, God, that is really nice. And I think that's the ultimate goal, right? I think that's the ultimate goal, which is scary because there is always a, a chance that you might get the you know, the um, the rug ripped from under you again, but you yeah. probably would if you're hypervigilant too, right? Like if it's going to happen, it's going to happen either way. I'm glad you brought up hypervigilance because I think that is a way that we tend to reach for safety and makes us feel safe when we know what's going on. And that could be also learned behavior. I remember seeing that with my mom and my dad's relationship, not in um, like affairs, but in his gambling and, and finances. So it was like constantly checking his the bank account and like making sure she was getting his money. And it was very hypervigilant on on the money front. And so you see that behavior modeled and you see hypervigilance and, and I didn't admire their relationship to each other, but that doesn't really matter because we learn things, not necessarily that we want to learn all the time. I think a lot of adulting is unlearning a lot of shit that we don't That we learned without knowing it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And so seeing that, it doesn't matter that I didn't like it or didn't think they had the best relationship. Sometimes we subconsciously act out that kind of behavior. So I could be hypervigilant about, could be about the money in my new relationship or just something, but I just have that high anxiety, hypervigilance of needing to know, needing to know what's going on at all times because that's what was modeled to me. And I'm just taking it on without even taking a look at it and going, is this what we want? Is this how we Mm -hmm. want to feel? And I think it's, it's um, like you said, relaxed. It's so hypervigilance is just like the opposite of relaxed, right? It's like the constant anxiety and you cannot run forever on that feeling without getting fully burnt out, either resentful toward your relationship or resentful towards your life or or having something kind of snap. I think hypervigilance is a quick way to burn out in life stress and relationship. Yeah. And so learning to learning to feel safe outside of hypervigilance is a skill too. I was going to say though too, like is there a time that you should just be like, you know what, this isn't the relationship. If I feel yeah. like I need to be hypervigilant all the time, either is it like I need to get out of this relationship, but – Will I keep doing that in my next relationship? You know, so is there like, I need to figure this out now, or is there maybe someone else out there better for me that I wouldn't feel this hypervigilance or this need to be? You know what I'm saying? Like, think, how do we know? Yeah. I think it's a both and. I think um, sometimes you do need to get out of it, but I think it's still a work on yourself thing. Like when Jeff and I were going through that early on, I was like, if I keep doing this, I know myself, I need to get out of it because I can't handle this level of anxiety. 
but not because this is your problem, just because this is my problem. And it's something I'm going to need to work on alone until I can get back in something. So I think you may need to leave the relationship, maybe because it's early on and it's just unfair to the person and it's just too much, but you still have to work on it yourself. Now, what we chose to do was work on it and stay in a relationship. Um, and I had to, you know, really actively work on that. But I think I don't necessarily think you can find someone else where it's yeah. not going to come up. I think that you'll still have it come up eventually in some way. And so it's still like a, something you have to work yeah, on. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it's like, it, you know, sometimes, especially in the early stages where you're just like, God, am I like a ruined? Like, am I just like, you know, am I ruined goods? Like, will I ever be able to have a functional relationship, like a healthy relationship? sometimes it feels, it could feel easier to be single, right? You're just like, then I don't have to deal with this. I can just stay safe. I make all the rules, but we know we obviously miss out on so much fulfillment. If we do nothing wrong with being single and I, you know, at times I'm just like, yeah, being single would be, would be quote unquote easier in a lot of ways, but also we'd miss out on all of these lessons, right? I remember my earliest, one of my earliest like sort of mindset mentors, I remember I was going through stuff with my ex-husband and he was helping me through it. And I was like, I just want to go and like live in a log cabin and like not talk to anyone, not deal with this. And he goes, well, that's really convenient. So you just don't have to deal with any of this and don't have to learn any lessons and don't have to get better. And I was like, fuck, you're right. Like, so, you know, it doesn't mean you have to martyr yourself out. You're not like, I'm going to make this work and I'm going to stay. But like, you do have to sort of recognize what you can handle uh, capacity wise. I think there's going to be times where you're going to start wanting pattern recognition. This person did that, which means this. Mm -hmm. And like, again, we just want to be able to connect the dots because that makes us feel safe. But you have to ask yourself, are there enough times in your relationship that you do feel relaxed? Is there enough times in your relationship where you do feel enjoy and you're actually looking at the person's actions and going, yeah, they do have my best interest at heart. Yeah. They're not trying to, you know, they're not toxic or they're not cheating or they're not betraying me or there's, you know, or if they're, if they are, they're certainly not showing it, you know? So you go, well, I have to trust their actions. I have to trust what they say. I have to trust what they do. And then you just have to let the chips fall, which is obviously the hardest part, you know, that trust piece, which we've talked about so many times. Yeah. And I know like we talked about early on, like episode one, two, three-ish about would we rather be blindsided again? And although we've we've said yes, we would. And then I know ultimately we would never want to be blindsided again. But ultimately when you're looking at the alternative of hypervigilance and constantly on edge waiting for it to happen anyway, it's almost like when you're hypervigilant waiting for it to happen anyway, it almost feels good when it does happen. You're like, see, I was right. So then it's like, if you're looking for that, what like, why are you looking to be right? You don't want to be right. And so it's a big, like, twisted mess in your brain that really has to get, you know, undone. <laughs> so just go to the just go to the jungle and do ayahuasca. You got to take yeah. a sledgehammer ayahuasca. to the shit. But no. <laughs> Breath work. I, I work with Kelly. You, know, it might, you might have it. to do somatic stuff, though. Like, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes just talking in circles. And I don't know that you can, yeah. like, logistic your way out of it. You know, I don't know if you can do that. You know, I, I actually, I want to address that. I think um, somatic work is really powerful. So like no joke about ayahuasca and it's not easy for everybody to do that, but breath work can be really, really powerful. So somatic breath work or holotropic breath work, there is a book called The Body Keeps the Score and there's some truth in this and and something that I've really been, the last year I was digging so far deep into trauma and grief and healing and where, where things are stored and you know, I went to tons of therapy and a lot of things helped and a lot of things didn't. And so things that really did help me that were like in my body was EMDR therapy, breathwork and, and plant medicines, because 
our friend Christina uh, Lacour, she just posted yesterday on on Instagram about her dog. Uh, She got like attacked by a dog. And she says she's never been scared of dogs. And now all of a sudden she's like, she'll see a dog and have a panic attack. And so she's going to hypnotherapy. And it's really frustrating for someone like me and you, Jill, and just people like us who feel like we can logically look at something and go, that's ridiculous. I'm not scared of dogs. I know dogs or anything in our life where we can look at it and go, logically, this doesn't make sense, but my body is having a reaction. And I was having this, um, I had a big physical reaction after my mom's brain. Um, when I found out about that, like I lost a lot of weight. I was really um, like on high anxiety when I got robbed. I had a lot of triggers and it was like so frustrating because I could be in my house and recognize that I'm safe and see that there's like nobody there. And yet I'm scared to go to bed at night. I'm scared to, you know, turn the lights off. I have to like rip the shower curtains open because somebody might be in there. And so those are things that I couldn't deal with by talking about them. It was things I actually had to deal with by like somatic work and getting it out of my body, whether that was breath work or plant medicines or, or EMDR. And so I think that's really important to recognize. And since we've talked about this, and especially if you were like in an abusive relationship, you may have a lot of these physical triggers that you like can't help. And you, you might even be in a new relationship and you're like, I know this, like, I know he's a good person. And like, for whatever reason, I'm fucking triggered and all this shit comes up. This might be a really good call to look into like more somatic therapies to deal with the underlying stuff because that shit's real. And it's really hard to logic your way and talk your way out of because it's literally in your body. And it's really confusing for a smart person and someone who feels like they can figure stuff out to deal with it because you feel like you're stupid or you're wrong or or something's messed up with you. And there's nothing messed up with you. Like your body was literally trying to protect itself and those protective mechanisms, again, become maladaptive. And this is what, what PTSD really is, right? It's like, let's just use the war example. You know, the person who's in the war and they hear the, the explosions and bombs and they like jerk and like hide and they move quickly. Like that was really important to stay alive while they were out in the war. They get home and, a, a you know, somebody lights a firework and they freak out and jump. Like that's maladaptive in today's, like in the world that they're in now. So in the world that you were in, whatever behaviors you were created due to that scenario were adapted to, for your survival. Like your body's trying to stay alive. You're trying to survive, but now you're in a different place. Those, those reactions and behaviors are maladaptive. They're not helping you. They're hurting you. And those can be really hard to fix with just antidepressants and talk therapy. So I would really look into some things that like address the deeper somatic stuff where it's like it's in your body, it's in your tissues, could be hypnotherapy too. Um, But I found a lot of great help with EMDR and breath work and plant medicines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I do think that, you know, it can be frustrating, like you said, for people like us and people who listen to this podcast who do see themselves as logical, rational, um, you know, introspective, strong, confident people to feel like, why can't I just figure this out? Why can I not yank myself out of the situation? Why is this still bugging me years later? Mm -hmm. And we kind of can judge it. We can judge ourselves on that. And I love that you said, like, it's probably not here. It's probably not in in your head. It's probably in your stored in your body somewhere. And that's sort of why it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you undisciplined. It doesn't make you like, you know, like you don't know where you're doing or you're, you know, weak person. It's just, it might take a different kind of therapy to get it out. Yeah. And I, I 
think that I just want to say, like, I understand it too, like feeling stuck or depressed or anxious. It could be any of those things like fight, fight, flight, or freeze. And what you said about judgment, the self-judgment, it can be really hard because you're like, I know better. I know, like I listen to self-help and I can do this, but yet if you're feeling like this and you're like, and yet I'm still in this place, that might be a time where you do want to look into someone that can help you dig a little deeper. Well, I do like this conversation. This is a good one. And um, we actually have not talked about this before. So I think this is a great conversation. And this has so many different iterations, whether it is infidelity, betrayal, toxicity, narcissism, I mean, abuse, all of that kind of stuff. I think this is an important conversation because you're not a fucking robot. You're not going to get in a second relationship and have a clean slate. I wish that was the case, but it's not. Our bodies like to protect and our mind likes to protect us. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to bring some of that stuff in. And if you've had that experience, we want you to know that that is normal and that is common. And if you don't want to have that same experience in your new relationship, there's probably a little bit of work that has to be done with awareness and then maybe making some active different decisions than you, than you did. And then ultimately, of course, trusting, you know, trusting what's, what's actually happening in the relationship. And of course, trusting yourself, which is the highest order of trust. So hopefully it was helpful for you guys. Uh, anything else you want to add? No, I love it. Love where the conversation went. Feel free to DM us at the Best Life Podcast on Instagram or our um, personal DMs if you have questions about this stuff or, or even want referrals for some of those things we mentioned. And would love if you leave us a review on on iTunes or wherever you listen. Spotify, I think, too. Um, please give us five star. Leave us a review. Not necessarily for us, but for other people who can find our show. Um, we would love to help anyone. And if you feel like this episode will help someone, maybe who's going through it, who's maybe in their relationship and they're struggling, pass it on. We love when you share our episodes and get more listeners to us. Thank you, guys. All right. We'll see you in the next one. Bye, guys. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.